0: THE CONVERSATION OF Iros AND CARMION Iros read by Larry Wilson CARMION, read by Algie Pug I will bring fire to thee, Euripides, Andromeda Why do you call me Iros?
1: So, henceforward, will you always be called. You must beget, too, my earthly name, and speak to me as CARMION. This is indeed no dream. Dreams are with us no more, but of these mysteries anon. I rejoice to see you looking lifelike and rational. The film of the shadow has already passed from off your eyes. Be of heart and fear nothing. Your allotted days of stupor have expired, and tomorrow... I will myself induct you into the full joys and wonders of your novel existence.
0: True, I feel no stupor, none at all. The wild sickness and the terrible darkness have left me, and I hear no longer that mad, rushing, horrible sound like the voice of many waters. Yet my senses are bewildered, Carmion, with the keenness of their perception of the new. A few days will remove all this, but I
1: fully understand you, and feel for you. It is now ten earthly years since I underwent what you undergo, yet the remembrance of it hangs by me still. You have now suffered all of pain, however, which you will suffer in Iden. In Iden. In
0: Iden. Oh, God, pity me, Carmion. I am overburthened with the majesty of all things, of the unknown, now known, of the speculative future merged in the august and certain present. Grapple not now with such thoughts. Tomorrow we will speak
1: of this. Your mind wavers, and its agitation will find relief in the exercise of simple memories. Look not around, nor forward, but Back. I am burning with anxiety to hear the details of that stupendous event which threw you among us. Tell me of it. Let us converse of familiar things, in the old familiar language of the world which is so fearfully perished.
0: Most fearfully.
1: Fearfully, this is indeed no dream. Dreams are no more. Was I much mourned, my Idos?
0: Mourn, Carmion? Oh, deeply, to that last hour of all, there hung a cloud of intense gloom and devout sorrow over your household. And that
1: last hour,
0: speak of it.
1: Remember that, beyond the naked fact of the catastrophe itself, I know nothing. When, coming out from among mankind, I passed into night through the grave, at that period, if I remember aright, The calamity which overwhelmed you was utterly unanticipated. But, indeed, I knew little of the speculative philosophy of the day.
0: The individual calamity was, as you say, entirely unanticipated. But analogous misfortunes have been long a subject of discussion with astronomers. I need scarce tell you, my friend, that even when you left us, Men had agreed to understand those passages in the Most Holy Writings, which speak of the final destruction of all things by fire, as having reference to the orb of the earth alone. But in regard to the immediate agency of the ruin, speculation had been at fault from that epoch in astronomical knowledge in which the comets were divested of the terrors of flame. The very moderate density of these bodies had been well established. They had been observed to pass among the satellites of Jupiter without bringing about any sensible alteration, either in the masses or in the orbits of these secondary planets. We had long regarded the wanderers as vapory creations of inconceivable tenuity, and as altogether incapable of doing injury to our substantial globe, even in the event of contact. But contact was not in any degree dreaded, for the elements of all the comets were accurately known. That among them we should look for the agency of the threatened fiery destruction had been for many years considered an inadmissible idea. But wonders and wild fancies had been of late days strangely rife among mankind. And although it was only with a few of the ignorant that actual apprehension prevailed, upon the announcement by astronomers of a new comet yet this announcement was generally received with I-know-not-what of agitation and mistrust. The elements of the strange orb were immediately calculated, and it was at once conceded by all observers that its path, at perihelion, would bring it into very close proximity with the Earth. There were two or three astronomers of as secondary note who resolutely maintained that a contact was inevitable. I cannot very well express to you the effect of this intelligence upon the people. For a few short days they would not believe an assertion which their intellect, so long employed among worldly considerations, could not in any manner grasp. But the truth of a vitally important fact soon makes its way into the understanding of even the most stolid. Finally, all men saw that astronomical knowledge lies not, and they awaited the comet. Its approach was not at first seemingly rapid, nor was its appearance of very unusual character. It was of a dull red, and had little perceptible train. For seven or eight days we saw no material increase in its apparent diameter, and but a partial alteration in its color. Meantime, the ordinary affairs of men were discarded, and all interest absorbed in a growing discussion instituted by the philosophic in respect to the cometary nature. Even the grossly ignorant aroused their sluggish capacities to such considerations. The learned now gave their intellect to no such points as the allaying of fear, or to the sustenance of loved theory. They sought, they panted for right views, they groaned for perfected knowledge. Truth arose in the purity of her strength and exceeding majesty, and the wise bowed down and adored." That material injury to our globe, or its inhabitants, would result from the apprehended contact was an opinion which hourly lost ground among the wise, and the wise were now freely permitted to rule the reason and the fancy of the crowd. It was demonstrated that the density of the comet's nucleus was far less than that of our rarest gas, and the harmless passage of a similar visitor among the satellites of Jupiter was a point strongly insisted upon, and which served greatly to allay terror. Theologists, with an earnestness fear kindled, dwelt upon the biblical prophecies, and expounded them to the people with a directness and simplicity of which no previous instance had been known. That the final destruction of the earth must be brought about by the agency of fire was urged with a spirit that enforced everywhere conviction, and that the comets were of no fiery nature, as all men now knew, was a truth which relieved all, in a great measure, from the apprehension of the great calamity foretold. It is noticeable that the popular prejudices and vulgar errors, in regard to pestilence and wars, errors which were wont to prevail upon every appearance of a comet, were now altogether unknown, as if by some sudden convulsive exertion, reason had once hurled superstition from her throne." the feeblest intellect had derived vigor from excessive interest. What minor evils might arise from the contact were points of elaborate question. The learned spoke of slight geological disturbances, of probable alterations in climate, and consequently in vegetation, of possible magnetic and electric influences. Many held that no visible or perceptible effect would in any manner be produced, While such discussions were going on, the subject gradually approached, growing larger in apparent diameter, and of a more brilliant luster. Mankind grew paler as it came. All human operations were suspended. There was an epoch in the course of the general sentiment when the comet had attained at length a size surpassing that of any previously recorded visitation. The people now dismissing any lingering hope— that THE ASTRONOMERS WERE WRONG, EXPERIENCED ALL THE CERTAINTY OF EVIL. THE CHIMERICAL ASPECT OF THEIR TERROR WAS GONE. THE HEARTS OF THE STOUTEST OF OUR RACE BEAT VIOLENTLY WITHIN THEIR BOSOMS. A VERY FEW DAYS SUFFERED, HOWEVER, TO MERGE EVEN SUCH FEELINGS AND SENTIMENTS MORE UNENDURABLE. WE COULD NO LONGER APPLY TO THE STRANGE ORB ANY ACCUSTOMED THOUGHTS. ITS HISTORICAL ATTRIBUTES HAD DISAPPEARED. It oppressed us with a hideous novelty of emotion. We saw it not as an astronomical phenomenon in the heavens, but as an incubus upon our hearts and a shadow upon our brains. It had taken with unconceivable rapidity the character of a gigantic mantle of rare flame, extending from horizon to horizon. Yet a day, and men breathed with greater freedom. It was clear that we were already within the influence of the comet, yet we lived. We even felt an unusual elasticity of frame and vivacity of mind. The exceeding tenuity of the object of our dread was apparent, for all heavenly objects were plainly visible through it. Meantime, our vegetation had perceptibly altered, and we gained faith from this predicted circumstance in the foresight of the wise." A wild luxuriance of foliage, utterly unknown before, burst out upon every vegetable thing. Yet another day, and the evil was not altogether upon us, it was now evident that its nucleus would first reach us. A wild change had come over all men, and the first sense of pain was the wild signal for general lamentation and horror. The first sense of pain lay in a rigorous construction of the breast and lungs, and an insufferable dryness of the skin. It could not be denied that our atmosphere was radically affected. The conformation of this atmosphere, and the possible modifications to which it might be subjected, were now the topics of discussion. The result of investigation sent an electric thrill of the intensest terror through the universal heart of man. It had been long known that the air which encircled us was a compound of oxygen and nitrogen gases, in the proportion of 21 measures of oxygen and 79 of nitrogen in every 100 of the atmosphere. Oxygen, which was the principle of combustion and the vehicle of heat, was absolutely necessary to the support of animal life and was the most powerful and energetic agent in nature. Nitrogen, on the contrary, was incapable of supporting either animal life or flame. An unnatural excess of oxygen would result, it had been ascertained, in just such an elevation of the animal spirits as we had laterally experienced. It was the pursuit, the extension of the idea, which had engendered awe. What would be the result of a total extraction of the nitrogen? A combustion irresistible, all-devouring, omniprevalent, immediate. The entire fulfillment in all their minute and terrible details— of the fiery and horror-inspiring denunciations of the prophecies of the holy book. Why need I paint, Carmion, the now disenchained frenzy of mankind? The tenuity in the comet which had previously inspired us with hope was now the source of the bitterness of despair. In its impalpable gaseous character, we clearly perceived the consummation of fate. Meantime, a day again passed, bearing away with it the last shadow of hope. We gasped in the rapid modification of the air. The red blood bounded tumultuously through its strict canals. A furious delirium possessed all men, and with arms rigidly outstretched towards the threatening heavens, they trembled and shrieked aloud. But the nucleus of the destroyer was now upon us. Even here in Aden, I shudder while I speak. Let me be brief, brief as the ruin that overwhelmed... FOR A MOMENT THERE WAS A WILD, LURID LIGHT ALONE, VISITING AND PENETRATING ALL THINGS. THEN LET US BOW DOWN, CARMION, BEFORE THE EXCESSIVE MAJESTY OF THE GREAT GOD. THEN THERE CAME A SHOUTING AND PERVADING SOUND, AS IF FROM THE MOUTH ITSELF OF HIM, WHILE THE WHOLE INCUMBENT MASS OF ether IN WHICH WE EXISTED BURST AT ONCE INTO A SPECIES OF INTENSE FLAME, FOR WHOSE SURPASSING BRILLIANCY AND ALL fervid HEAT Even the angels in the high heaven of pure knowledge have no name. Thus ended all.